0: Welcome to Camp Radio United, a podcast production of TN Baptist Camps, the official camps and conference centers of the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board. Camp Radio United, discussing important issues and trends that will encourage ministries and churches in their efforts to impact people for Christ.
1: Thank you for joining us on Camp Radio United. My name is Kevin Peerge and I will be your host. While our society faces a pandemic, the norm of everyday life has changed, and this is also true in the local church. Church leaders are encountering challenges that were unheard of two months ago. We have with us today John Rush from Liberty Church, Edwin Franks from Lincoln Avenue Baptist, and John Walton from Faith, Hope, and Love Family Church. Guys, thank you for joining us today. Let's begin with just sharing a little
2: bit about yourself. Yeah, my name's obviously Edwin Franks, and I'm a minister at a local Baptist church in Newport, Tennessee. And I have three kids, and my wife's a school teacher, so she's been home through this. And just a little bit about myself. John Rush?
0: Yeah, I'm with the Liberty Church here in Cosby, Tennessee. I've been here 16 years, a father of three teens and a younger child.
3: I'm John Walton and I'm um, the pastor at Faith, Hope, and Love Family Church. I've got a, a beautiful wife, Missy, who's a teacher at Cosby Elementary School, and then two amazing kids, Isaiah and Josie. Isaiah's is 15, Josie is eight. She'll be nine coming up in July and uh, I consider myself just kind of a normal everyday guy. I'm, I'm pretty salt of the earth and I don't need anything fancy or, or big or special. Uh, I just, Try to do what I can to to serve Christ in everything that I do, and do what I can to serve others as best I can.
1: Well, I kind of wanted to start off our discussion about really about what was life like before the coronavirus. What was your everyday life? What what was church life like? If y'all share a little bit about that.
3: So, everyday life for me uh, prior to to all this, you know, I, Sunday's my favorite day. It's the day that I get to connect together with my church family. It's the day that uh, I primarily have the most fellowship with the church at large, as far as our church. Uh, You know, I get to see everyone. I get to check up on everyone. That question of, Hey, how's your week going? I I knew you had this going on in your life. How is that going? I'm not really much of a fan of talking on the phone, I don't like to be talking on the phone all the time. So I'm a people person. I I like seeing people. I'm a very physical contact person. So, you know, a good handshake, a hug, that kind of stuff goes a long way with me. So normal church prior to this, normal life prior to this was Sunday was my favorite day because I got to see everybody. I got to talk to everybody. I got to catch up with everybody. I, I really enjoy that time of fellowship with God's people. I guess the word for me
0: is like life before coronavirus is it is kind of unconscious. You know, you're just in your routine. Uh, routines are a saving grace because you've got these actions that you do without thinking. And so it's not stressful that way. So. Then when, when this virus starts coming down the pike, you're thinking, okay, I hear this, something's going on over in China, something's going on over in California, and now they're telling me over here in East Tennessee, you're gonna have to shut down. And we had an officer's meeting just as this thing was beginning to, to hit life. And we decided that we were gonna follow these things that they're recommending in a spirit of cooperation. It was. It's interesting, just even after a matter of a few weeks, you're, you're living an, un, when I say unconscious, I guess I just mean routine, right? You're just going, and then you're telling people we're going to be shut down for over a month, maybe two. What's really stressful is now you're thinking what used to be an unconscious action or scheduling, everything takes two or three steps to process to make something happen. Uh, just kind of on the personal level, like if you're going in to get milk out of the store, you're thinking, okay, now how am I going to wash my hands when I get out of here? Do I need to wipe down the milk Is it before I put it in the car or the, for me, the truck? And so everything that was normal and you're just cruising now becomes stop and think at two points or three points of what seems to be normal. And, and, I think that put a lot of stress on me as a pastor because you're thinking, okay, how many keys are out from my building? Who's coming in and out of my building? Who's touched what surfaces? So this is one church that's been doused in chemicals. Every time I turn around, I'm just grabbing something and spraying knobs and switches. And that may seem a little strange, but that transition from you're, you're working through your calendar lot of events coming up. You've got your team where kind of everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing. And I think 16 years counts as a long-term pastor. You kind of just, your calendar is rolling and then everything just piles up and everything becomes a thought process that you didn't have to think about before. So yeah, everything is now a conscious effort.
2: I think the the main thing that I would say about life before Corona was um, everything was planned and everything was busy. You know, for those of us who like being very well-planned people and very busy people, that was good. It was interesting, you know, all all of the things that were going on before the coronavirus hit, it seemed like in a lot of our lives, you know, the economy was on an uptick. You know, our church was doing things that I'd only dreamed of in the past few years, and and we're seeing some changes that, that were incredible. And then it's like, all of a sudden, it's like, okay, let's put everything on hold. Stop. We'll talk about the differences, I guess, here in a minute, but, you know, having everything planned and being being so busy, you know, I think a lot of us at times we dream for times that aren't so busy and aren't so planned to allow for some freedom in our lives and, and the ability to do some things differently or some other things. And so um, life before Corona hit, you know, it was every day at the church, every day busy, um, every night doing things with our family, with our kids, sporting events and all of those things. And all, and all of a sudden, like I said, it was just, okay, let's put all of that on hold and um, let's change direction.
1: So how has your ministry changed during this time? Since we're kind of still in kind of the lockdown mode, uh, beginning to open up, we don't really know what's going to happen. So how has ministry changed?
0: I think going into hospitals has just, obviously, that's just been cut out completely of the ministry because you don't want to become somebody that's transferring a virus from one room to the next. For me, especially, the hospital visits are just crucial. The longer I'm in ministry, the more valuable I see that they are. When you go in and you pray with somebody before they go in surgery, they're laying in that bed and they're they're nervous and they're scared. And then, and when you pray for them, even though they're lying down after that prayer, you can see a change in their posture. It's like there's something very valuable happening there for them as you pray for them and, and lift them up before the Lord and not to be able to do that. That has been a challenge because that's trench ministry right there.
3: To echo off that, I would also say that people in general are definitely missing that, that, physical interaction, not just people in the hospital. But I had a conversation with one of our church members recently who talked about how she's spiritually struggling because of the separation from God's people. She talked about how her thought process had changed and how that she, her, she, she can recognize that she's not quite as friendly as she once was. And it's due to, she kind of pointed it all back due to that inability to meet with God's people. For how ministry has changed in that. I mean, the way we're ministering and what we're ministering to is changing. Not, mm-hmm. not just the, the physical interaction that we had before, but the way we respond to people who are struggling is becoming a bit different as well. Responding to new challenges, responding to new things that people are struggling with. The, 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 you know, the, uh, the other big thing is we were an anxious people before all this happened. I think the the new uh, Gen Z, the new generation talked about, I saw lots of reports of how they were the most anxious generation in in history. They were anxious about everything. And I I read a report about the levels of anxiety that has rose even greater during this because of the separation, the social distancing and everything that's happening. I think the way that we're ministering and who we're ministering to and, and the things we're ministering to are changing pretty drastically as well. So, what are some personal challenges
1: that you're that you've been facing?
2: I think there's a, a lot of different things that you're you're feeling as far as personal um, challenges goes. Probably one of the biggest thing is you know we're as ministers, um, most of us are geared to be people people, so we want we want to be around people. Um, that's kind of who we are. We miss talking to people. Um, another thing about most ministers um, have a strong desire to teach and encourage and exhort, and do all of those things that that we do on a daily basis, and you find yourself in a position where there's nobody around most of the time, even though, you know, for the first few weeks, the doors of our church, you know, were somewhat open to, as far as the office goes, John, both, both of these guys are in their church office today or in their church today. And so they're still there, but the, the people aren't coming around um, you're not seeing all of those people just drop in on a regular basis or most of us aren't. And so having, having to struggle with not having that physical interaction with people on a regular basis is, is very difficult. The challenge is then how do we, how do we um, develop different ways to communicate with people, even though there, there are challenges. um, I would say that some of these challenges to me have been honestly, very, very encouraging and it's pushed us out of our comfort zone to do things different than we normally do. So even though it's different, it's challenging, it's not all bad. And so there, there's some great encouragement that I've gotten from this um, throughout this time.
0: No, I think it's not all bad at all. I think whenever we're shaken up, it makes us think, right, Edwin? I, I, think, yeah. I think we have to look at this as a positive. Uh, there's a positive side to it. I think on the personal side, I found myself I uh, getting up early. And for me, it's like a three-mile drive to the church. So I, I just come down here. I'd get up early, come to the office, and then go home and take a nap. I'm not a nap person at all. I hate that. But then there in the beginning of it all and in the middle of it all, I just found like this nap was reaching up and pulling me down. And there was this extra layer of stress, not an internal collapse, of course, There was, but just an, like on the outer perimeter of life, it's just this other weight coming in. There's stress there. And then, and then I'm like, what do my people need to hear? What do... The people in our church need to hear in terms of messages, Either because I'm doing a podcast now. I'm trying to think through, it's hard for me to know what our folks are thinking and what they're needing to hear, whether it's something on God's in control or uh, how to deal with hope and fear or relationships or prayer. So you feel a little in the dark on just in terms of the topics of things that people need to hear.
2: I want, to, I want to jump in here just for a minute and say, you know, one of the challenging things that John just reminded me of is that there there are two different types of people in the world on multiple different levels, but on one particular, there are people who like to sleep and people who don't like to sleep, and um, I am not a sleeper in any way whatsoever, so I can stay up to one o'clock in the morning and be right back up and in the office at Five thirty, six o'clock the next morning, and it absolutely drives my wife insane. Cause so she's like, "Why are you? Why are you not sleeping?" And I'm like, "What? I don't, I don't really need that. I need to do these other things that I want to do or need to do." And um, at the same time, you know, while they've been at home and the kids have been at home and that sort of thing, I'm like, "Why are y'all sleeping all of the time? Get out of the bed, do something, you know." And so there's that frustration I think that we're all feeling at different levels that we're not normally used to dealing with. It's just something different. And so I've had to be real cognizant of that uh, to know that we're not all wired the same and so I think you know one of the struggles that many people are feeling right now and we're seeing um, domestic violence on an uptick in a lot of cases people are having to spend time with each other and deal with things that they're just not normally used to dealing with where that's a that's a challenge Um, I've also enjoyed seeing my family in different ways than we saw them in the past and spending time with them as individuals talking to each other and spending time with each other, maybe playing cards and other things, whereas normally spending time with each other meant going to a sporting event or a school event or something like that where you really had no interaction with each other on a personal level whatsoever. So that those things are challenging um, and yet encouraging.
1: You know, it's interesting how, how stress affects us and we affects us in ways that we don't realize it. I actually talked to my staff a couple of weeks ago when we were sitting in a staff, a little staff meeting, or just since there's just a few of us working, I said, well, how are you feeling? And I asked a question, I said, are you sleeping well at night? And they all, most of them all agreed including myself is that we're not sleeping well. You know, I'm, I'm waking up like at five, four or five o'clock in the morning and can't go to sleep. And it's, it's, it's consistent. And you know, I think that's part of the stress. I, I'll go to sleep because I'm exhausted, and, but, I, but I wake up and it's not my mind is thinking about things or things are kind of weighing on you. And, and I know that's part of the stress. I think as ministers, we kind of face that same thing. We're so exhausted. We got to take a nap to kind of recover. But then, you know, where our, our sleep is kind of interrupted because we're so challenged with the things we're facing today.
0: Kevin, I'm experiencing that exactly as you described it. I I fall asleep pretty easy at night and then I wake up at 3.30 and you're up. So the only thing I can think of is, okay, if that's the case, I'm just going to adjust my hours around that, you know, and count my work hours around those realities. That's the only thing I can
3: do. You know, and the other thing, just Edwin had said this and it was something I was thinking as he was saying it. My family. I, you know, I, I'm very much a roll with the punches type person. I can adjust and change and, and this has caused a lot of change in all of our lives and, and all the stress that's come with that, but the thing that I've noticed as far as personally with this is more on my family's side of it. We live on a family farm. My mother-in-law and father-in-law live about 100 feet from us. Uh, they're, they're right next door. My, my brother-in-law and his family is right next door on the other side and and that's our neighbors. So my nine year old daughter has very much gotten into the habit of I spend one night at home and then I go spend one night with my mom and Pappy and then I come back and spend another night at home. And just to see that change in her uh, of getting to spend that time is great, but you can tell that she's doing that because she doesn't have a routine. She's an eight year old without that routine and talking to her through this and her, her favorite phrase to all this has been this stupid virus because she wants to go do something. And we can't do that right now with this stupid virus. And so I see the frustration in her. I see the frustration in my son who um, had AP classes and honors classes. And now he's having to do class over video chat and just talking about the struggles of still trying to maintain. He was in the process of trying to get his driver's permit and he's 15 years old and can't get his driver's permit because of this virus. I see the struggle in my wife. She's not able to go to school and work. She wasn't able to say goodbye to her kids. She wasn't, she's, she's stuck at home all the time. And even though I'm out and I'm going, she's usually the one staying home with the kids. And she's talked about how frustrating that is. She's an introvert. And we used to joke for years that if something were to ever happen to me, she's going to go get a cabin in the woods with a bunch of books and she's good. And <laughs> this whole, this whole virus, the being at home all the time has even changed her perspective on that of no lot. She, she even, she is an introvert saying, I need people. I need interaction. You know, I, I think a lot of us are, are facing those struggles, maybe not even personally on some levels as far as ourselves, but we're facing those struggles with our families struggling with this.
0: One of my teenagers is just outgoing and it's hard to rein them in and say, look, you can't go there because it's not safe right now. And and sometimes at that age level, they don't see what the dangers might be. And, and I know everybody's got their different views on what's maybe hyped and overblown or, or whatever. It's hard to get them to, to stay home sometimes.
1: And I can relate so much because my oldest daughter's on the swim team and, and uh, John Rush, your daughter's on swim team too. She's ready to get start swimming. She told me the other day, she said, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I really want to go back to school. You know, she, <laughs> she, she's tired. She's tired of being cooped up, and we try to get out and stuff. But I say that, and I like this her discussion here, because our struggles are, are not just what we're dealing with in the office or for, uh, with uh, our self-person, but also within our family. We're trying as pastors, as ministers, to minister a congregation, but we're also trying to somewhat help our own family to get through this crisis, aren't we?
3: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Whenever things get uprooted and tossed around, it takes communication and explanation and and sometimes just, you know, this is the way it's going to be. And I'm sorry, you know, you can blame me. But one thing we did, we we have fallen into a routine, and I don't know if this sounds very spiritual or not, but we will have our devotions, family devotions at night, and we bounce back and forth between reading a devotional and then watching something right now on the Bible Project on YouTube. I believe in short and sweet family devotions and make it interesting. Then we just fall into the routine after that of watching Madam Secretary on Bid Angel, And then going to bed. But I think that having a routine in the house has helped. And there's something that people can count on. And so it's not like, okay, what are we going to do now? There is a little bit of something taken for granted. And, And yeah, we have played a lot more skip bow and rook.
1: So, what have you been, what's been successful in your ministry? I know we've been talking about what life was before the corona, what life has been, and what the challenges that we're facing right now, even personally. But what are, what are you seeing successful uh, that's happening in, in your ministry, in your church ministry right now?
2: I think we've all been challenged to do things, like I said earlier, that we we never thought we may have the ability to do or the resources to do or um, just didn't maybe want to do. And so what I've seen as an amazing thing is most of us have have stepped up. And I can't tell you how many times I've either been on a a Zoom conference call um, with multiple people or making a video for Sunday school or doing a online study, online conference calls, reaching out to other ministers. And, you know, some of the things that I've seen myself do is something that I, I never thought I would have been comfortable doing until I was forced to do it. I think that's been very encouraging um, to me personally, because it, it's given me a confidence to do things that I didn't feel like I was qualified to do in the past. And so Um, And isn't that the way it should be that that God qualifies us to do things and step up at a time when things are needed to be done differently or or in an alternative way. And so, you know, as of right now, I'm thinking, you know, Vacation Bible School. I'm sure a lot of the ministers are thinking Vacation Bible School. And it's like, okay, how in the world are we going to do this? What, it, what it's forcing us to do, and it's encouraging, is is to step out of that box and say, okay, how can we do Vacation Bible School this year and either do it one better for a smaller group of people um, or multiple groups of people, or how can we do it differently and influence a different group of people in a massive way? And so, you know, as I've as I've been thinking and praying through Vacation Bible School, it's like, okay, God lead us in this and how we can do it and, and be effective in ministering um, not only to our people that we normally minister, minister to, but maybe even a whole new group of people that we had no idea that we could reach out to. I think that's very encouraging, very challenging. And honestly, it's, it's been enjoyable at times. The fellowship that we've had with other ministers has been incredibly encouraging. And so we have a United Methodist Church a block away from my house that has a new pastor that's only been there for a few months now. And before all of this started, I had not even met him yet. Through this, I've still not seen him in person. We've we've been in conferences together and I'm um, on calls together and I've been greatly encouraged by him and getting to know him. And so those are, those are great things that have happened through this.
3: What else has uh, been successful for you guys? You know, I, I think one thing that I've seen that's been successful is I've seen people in the church step up in different ways and do things in different ways. You know, it's kind of this, this dynamic of you have some people who have taken this time and they've almost taken a backseat approach. They've kind of sat back and relaxed a bit. But then I've seen other people who maybe I didn't expect in the past to step up and do some really incredible things. We had a, a girl in our church that decided she wanted to do something for the healthcare workers and first responders. And so she organized a, a way to get goodies to 600 healthcare workers here in our county, which is amazing. That, that And that, that wasn't, you know, I, I was so happy with that because that wasn't me casting a vision and the people getting behind it. That was someone within the church who said, hey, this is something that we can do. This is something that needs to be done. Let's make this happen. As a leader, it's always encouraging to see someone in your congregation, someone that you're leading, take the reins and say, hey, I want to do this on my own. I want to make this happen because this is a good thing. And so I think that one of the things that has been successful is this has given people the opportunity to step up and, and think outside the box and do something without being told from the top down, hey, here's what we're going to do. It's given our people the opportunity, the people that we've been teaching and leading and pouring into, it's given them the opportunity to step up and take on ministries of their own. I think one
0: of the things that I feel good about what we've been doing is staying in touch with as a leadership team. We're an elder-led church. We have met in person on a weekly basis throughout this, you know, keeping social distancing. And when this all came down, we made a super list of all our members, all our attenders, and recent prospects. Just a super list, and we divided it up amongst ourselves. And we've been calling everybody in our church. Everybody in our church is getting a phone call from the leadership at least once a week. You know, and I don't know what, everybody has a different skill set and people may feel better about being on social media and some people may not like it at all. But if there's pastors that are listening in, I just encourage to, you know, there's nothing, nothing can be just a personal phone call and that's meat and potatoes right there. You don't have to be a social media guru, just call your people and and see how they're doing, ask them if they have anything, everything they need. And, And for me, I walked during that time you know, I do my workouts in an auditorium now. I got my dumbbells in there. And If you see my workout in there, he's like, okay, that's pretty silly, but I'll just get my uh, phone out, put it on speaker and carry it and just walk insane, an insane number of laps. Cause you know, I think we need to be working out during this time, to keep your immune system up. I think that call list is probably one of the most important things that we've done, working with the leadership, keep your leadership on board. And I think work on the unity of your leadership. I think that's more important. That's one of the key things in my mind. Like we were thinking about drive-in church a few weeks ago, and one of our elders was like, just not there at all. And the rest of us were like, gung-ho, it's new, it's creative. And, And yet I was surprised. I was surprised that I was hearing this guy just say, I'm really not for this. I'm against it right now. So we didn't do it because we we wanted unity in our leadership. We're not, you know, I'm not into just having somebody outvoted, you know, and getting certain things rolling. And now when things are beginning to lighten up here in Tennessee, at least Governor Lee is beginning to open things up. He's wide open to it. So we did some testing to do an FM broadcast over our parking lot. So, you know, everybody's trying to work through this. And I think, you know, work on the unity of your leadership. That's key to me and, and call your people so you can hear what's going on. So what do you think
3: life is going to be like, the church life, uh, after this is over with? I don't know. And I, and I don't say that lightly. It's something that I've thought about. But I, I just want to be very real and just say, I don't know. You know, I, I hope that we are able to get back to some semblance of not necessarily what we had, but something better than what we had. I, I want those physical connections again, and I want to be able to to meet together as God's people and worship heavily. I, I think back to really the, the last big crisis that I can think back that we had was nine eleven, and I remember right after nine eleven, man, the churches were packed. Everybody was there, and, and they were looking for answers. They were looking for hope. And they were there for a month and then it was like life went back to normal. And, and I know that a lot of people are probably out there thinking, man, I just want life to get back to the way it was. I want to get back to the routine. I want to get back to normal, but I, I really kind of don't. I, don't. I don't want a, a month worth of people looking for answers. And then when they don't get the quick fix, they go back to what they were doing before. I, I don't want the church to go back to being just a, a Sunday thing. Uh, for In a lot of people's minds, that's what church was. I, I, I don't want church to go back to, for a lot of people, it was an Easter and Christmas thing. You know, I, I want what I would like to see happen would be for the church to continue to be the church without walls. I would like to see the church continue to reach out to their congregants on a weekly basis, like like John said. I, I would like for people to continue to be stepping up on their own. I would like to see some of these successes that we've seen during this time continue and blossom and be even better than what they were. But if I'm just being real as to what I think this is going to happen, I don't know. And I would just want to say to anyone out there who is who is thinking this way, who, who is there, you know, for, for pastors and leaders, We don't like being in that place of, I don't know. We want to be the one that is blazing the trail and leading the charge. We want to be the ones that that are on the front lines, I think, for the most part. And for a lot of pastors, that statement of, I don't know, can be pretty scary. But I I also want to kind of come back to, I know that God is still good. I know that Christ is still the son of God. I know that he's not done with me. He's not done with this world. He's not ready to cast that all to the side. And so I'm finding, as odd as it sounds, I'm finding a little solace in the I don't know because it's forcing me to deepen my faith even more on the person of Jesus Christ. And so um, I don't know what church life is gonna look like when this is all over, but I want everyone's faith to be even deeper because of this.
0: What if your church doesn't, quote, make it through this? What if the finances go down all the way? I think the economic lag is – we haven't felt the the ramifications of this quite yet. So, yeah, I'm I'm right there with you, John. I don't know. You've got to get comfortable with uncertainty.
2: I think one of the things that John talked about here a minute ago, and and me and John Rush were on a call last night with the director of schools here in the county, and he pointed out something last night that I hadn't really thought about, that this graduating senior class um, was ushered into the world with 9-11 and um, graduating high school in this time. And so it's very difficult to think about that. And I was I was talking with someone this morning and thinking about 9-11 and the changes that came after 9-11. And most of those changes have influenced us only when we go to the airport or when we're crossing national boundaries. And so it's not that we've not seen those influences from 9-11 last and um, throughout our lifetimes since then, but uh, this is going to have implications that go beyond this year. I don't know that we're going to see hospitals open back up in the same way that they were in the past. This could be something that changes the way that we visit hospitals from now on. And so I I don't know that we know all of the answers to how things are going to change, but I, I expect that there will be changes that go from here forward. The other thing that I, that I would say about church life from here on out is first and foremost, God is in control. Just because your church may fail or the finances of your church may fail. It doesn't mean necessarily that you are a failure or that God is a failure. The church will survive. The church will continue and the church will prosper as always. I don't see the church necessarily coming out of this and being a weaker church. I think the church is going to come out of this and be a stronger church. And so that's encouraging. Even in the midst of failure, doesn't mean that even though things may fail in, in the short term, it doesn't mean that they are forever failed. I'm encouraged by the fact that that I know that God will use this um, to bring about his glory. He's promised that he will do that. That will happen. And so when it comes to that, we don't have anything to worry about. Um, Even though we may not know, we're not necessarily concerned um, that the church is going to fail ultimately because of what's going on here. And so I'm looking for churches that are reinvigorated on the outside of this and that are less distracted by things of the world than they were before this happened.
0: The word church means assembly. The very nature of a church is to assemble. I mean, it's called-out assembly around the person of Christ. I think we're thinking there might be you might have to have fragmented or segmented methods of assembly for different age groups too. Like you might, we may just have to work harder at this. It's not you know you may have to have something for this age group that's not so much at risk with the virus. They could actually come into the building, social distancing. You know, I'm wondering about how do you do nursery? I have no idea. You might have people outside in their cars listening on the radio at the same time or at different times or set up a certain number of chairs and have 20-minute get-togethers on a schedule. I, don't, I have no idea. I'm praying that I don't just have theology, but I have God, and that's important. I mean, I want good theology that points to the one true God, but I don't want to have theology without God himself. I think that's ultimately the pursuit, but uh, yeah, you know, some things are going to get shaken and then some things will remain, but the church, the church has been through worse. And we're going to, you know, in human history, we're going to make it.
2: So one thing though, that we talk about the church gathered just as an encouragement to people, you know, when I'm on a pretty large network of people, of pastors in Africa and, and some in Europe too, that we all communicate on WhatsApp on a daily basis. And uh, one of the things that we encourage these guys is that if you have a church, you have the promise of, or a, a tree, you have a place to gather to worship and so you know we're we're used to gathering in buildings and gathering in our assemblies and, and all of that's good and I hope that continues. but this is also the opportunity for the church to be more out there um, and, and it may be that we're, we're actually um, planning new smaller churches in a lot more places than we have in the past and so I don't think we we have to limit our, ourselves by how those gatherings accumulate. you know I think a lot of times when churches in Africa or pastors in Africa are thinking about planning a built church, they're thinking about building a building. And I'm thinking, you don't need a building, you need people. I hope that that's something that we look at in the future is that where can we gather the church? Um, And if it's underneath my carport tonight at six o'clock, then there may be 10 of us, but here we are gathered. um, And wherever the people are gathered, there's the church. And so I, I pray that we think differently, you know, going forward about those things and aren't discouraged by those. But actually, these things are an encouragement to us. So
1: do you feel like that there will be many people who are there will be hurting and fearful after this is over with or during this time? Well, how do we address that? How
3: do we minister to those people? I think there are definitely people who are going to be fearful, who are fearful right now during this time. I mean, I've talked to people and, and I'm sure that you have talked to people in your congregation of people who are fearful, who who don't know how this is going to go, who who are afraid of this, who who are afraid of the ramifications of this. So as far as fearful, yeah. And fear drives a lot of decision-making in a lot of cases. But one of the things that I've held onto a lot through this is First 1 Timothy 1, 1.7, that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. And I've gone back to that verse so many times in talking to people of, you know, we need to have sound judgment during this time. We, we don't need to be doing crazy, dumb things. We need to be smart about what we're doing. But, you know, that, that spirit of fear, I think we've got to be careful that we don't allow that to drive all of our decision making. That fear is there for a reason we need to be sound judgment, have sound judgment in that. But again, it, it's a lot of this is trusting in the power of God for our decision making. It's trusting that God's still got this, that God is still in control. And I think, you know, as far as how do we get people past that fear and how do we get people past that hurting? Now more than ever, we as pastors need to be the ones who are pointing people back to God in real and practical ways. I cannot overemphasize the power of prayer and teaching people how to pray and teaching people how important prayer is and and showing people how much prayer helps that fearful mind? How much prayer helps that, that hurting mind? How much prayer helps that turmoil that's going on inside? How much prayer is, is the best therapy session you'll ever have. Part of how this is going to look moving moving forward is pointing people back to some of the basic tenets of Christianity, that prayer is, is important and real and powerful, that trusting, that that faith, being sure of what is hoped for teaching people to get back to some of those basic things and walking through those basic things, I think that's one of the best ways that we begin to heal and mend these these hurting people and and fearful people.
0: Yeah, and now there's more time to carve out for prayer than maybe people have felt before. I think too that, you know, good theology is going to be important because Mm -hmm. I'm getting, I got a question the other day, you know, about end times and you know, and I I think a good eschatology is important, but I don't want end times mania and conspiracy thinking. And, you know, I think we got to make sure we preach the main thing as the main thing and keep a historical perspective too, that the church and world history has been through so much turmoil that just getting that broad perspective is helpful too. And keeping good sense and and it, well, that's what you're pushing through, John, when you're talking about it. it's not just theology. We've got to have good theology. We also have to have God in that relationship with him and prayer and meditation that can lead us to prayer. and Absolutely.
2: Along with theology, I think good ecclesiology is absolutely necessary at this point in time, too. And so, you know, that's something we're we're constantly thinking about and constantly focusing on is, is the church fulfilling its roles and doing so as it should throughout this time. And so this isn't a time to neglect what the church means and how the church functions. And so we're actually, actually trying to focus more on that through this time, not less. And so even though the church doesn't look like it did two months ago, we're still doing everything that we can to fulfill the function of the church today. And and we'll do so going forward.
1: Well, that kind of leads to my last question. Do you see that a new way of reaching the lost, that we can see that in the future?
0: I mean, tangible needs are much more evident now. People are getting literally hungry in certain parts of the country. And if we can be a connection for just giving food and basic needs of some sort of benevolence, I think all that matters John, can you just describe how that went out with Empowercock County and giving food out to the restaurant workers? And Because it was both food and,
3: and gospel. You know what I'm talking about? So one of the things that, that we kind of recognized early on with this is people lost their jobs. And when you lose your job, you're, you're losing your source of income. When you lose your source of income, you're going to have to start making decisions about what's really important and what's not. And one of the things that we have a a parachurch organization here in Newport called Empower Cock County, that is multiple churches all working together to to see God-sized change in the community. And so one of the things that several of the pastors who are involved with that all came together and said, man, we can, let's help these people who've lost their jobs. Uh, Let's help these people who have been displaced because of this. And so our our first group that we hit uh, was restaurant workers. Actually tonight, We're handing out food to beauticians and barbers and that kind of, those, those kind of people who have lost their jobs due to this, because I mean, the whole idea is we want to show the community and we want to show these people that in spite of everything going on, what the church has always been here to do is still what the church is here to do. And that is show God's love to people and introduce people to Jesus Christ. I I mean, we want them to know why we're doing what we're doing. We had a local restaurant that said, hey, we'll we'll cook all the food for you. And we set up a little drive-through system where we could safely and easily hand out meals to these restaurant workers that came through. And I think we had like 400, John, am am I right on that? It was somewhere in the neighborhood of like, I mean, it was a ton of people, a ton of meals. A lot of meals went out. out. Yeah, a lot of meals went out. I'm not sure on the number. 400 might be a a bit of an overestimacy. I thought it was
0: 250. I thought it was 250 in that time frame.
3: Yeah, it might have been. That might have been what it is. It might have been that we've done 400 meals in total at this point. But but regardless of, of the number, we've reached out to, to so many people just to say, hey, we're here and, and, and we're still doing what we've been doing because this is the hands and feet of Christ right now is to, to show these people God's love and, and to show, meet their physical needs wherever we can and however we can so that we can continue to share the gospel with them.
0: And what I was excited about, John, is you had those gospel pamphlets in each bag, ready to go mm-hmm. in with each meal. And people were coming to to us for it. You didn't have to chase anybody down, right? You're not, you know, <laughs> chasing somebody down to tell them about Jesus. And, um, and then uh, it was exciting too, because, you know, we're not even in the same denomination, John, but there was five or six pastors there. We're all working together. We all believe the gospel. And one of the best things I think that We've been building up to this in, in our county, a, a great fellowship of pastors. And I think it's just even solidified even more. But we were working together to do that. And it didn't matter whose church it was. That was, that was exciting. I
2: think, I think it was a great testimony to our, to our county and to our community to see all of the pastors there standing together. Um, shoulder to shoulder serving the people and so that was a that was a great it's a great thing um, and not only not only at the event but it was on the front page of the paper the picture of, of all of the ministers together they're gathered to answer your question you know reaching the lost in the future the gospel is not going to change but i i think there's a i think more people are focused on um, reaching as many people as they possibly can right now. And the other thing that I think that our ministers are at least thinking about and our churches and our community is seeing our ministers think about this is that we are we are one team united um, to carry this effort out. And we are not, even though we're different congregations and different churches, all of us are on the same page um, when it comes to spreading the gospel. I think our community knew that for the most part. I think our churches knew that for the most part beforehand, but now they're seeing it in action. And um, I think that's an incredible thing.
1: Well, guys, I want to thank you for sharing with us just your struggles as well as just some some uh, encouraging words. And, uh, you know, we're living in a changing world, but we do know that God's word is unchanging and uh, will stand. We know that. We have confidence mm-hmm. in that thank you also to our listeners for listening to our podcast today. Uh, We would love to hear from you. If you have any questions for any of our guests or what we do at TM Baptist, please let me know at uh, TM Baptist camps. And also you can send us an email at ccinfo at tmbaptist.org. Until next time, I hope that you look for opportunities to start a conversation about Christ with someone you know.
0: Thank you for listening to Camp Radio United. Podcast production of TN Baptist Camps, the official camps and conference centers of the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board. This and other episodes can be downloaded from tnbaptistcamps.org. The ministries of Carson Springs and Linden Valley are supported through the cooperative program and gifts received through the Golden Offering for Tennessee Missions. For more information, visit tnbaptistcamps.org.